Thanks for being here. Good seeing you out there. 
Uh, we're, we're all getting used to this uh, new post-COVID moment when this is a packed out house. This is a packed out house today. So in COVID standards, we're right on target. And so <laughs> don't freak out if you come and there's one more person here next week and the week after that, two more. And it gets crazy. It, it, it's going to be out of control pretty soon. We'll have 40, 50 people in here. And uh, 10, 15 is even worse. So you picked the right service to come to, I can tell you that. Uh, you have a little bit more wiggle room here. Uh, what brings you joy? I know it's a personal question, but I'm getting right to the point. What brings you joy? Think about it for just a second. By the way, a couple weeks ago, I asked a rhetorical question like that. And <laughs> the 10-year-old sitting in the middle of the room goes, <laughs> yeah, uh, MacArthur, what would you like to say? He had the best answer. And afterwards, his dad said, yeah, if you asked him that in person, he'd, he would freak out. He would be so nervous, he wouldn't say anything. But somehow, just in the context of a room. So I know that you are all masters of rhetorical questions, so nobody's going to blurt anything out. It's okay if you do. But ask yourself, what brings me joy? What, right now, when you think about it, okay, what brings me joy at, at this point in my life? What is bringing you joy? If you want to write it down, great. Uh, if you want to think about it later, and then let me ask you this question. Uh, it gets even more personal. Uh, what is robbing you of joy at this point in your life? What is robbing you of joy at this point in your life? Now, hopefully, as we unpack this whole notion of joy, uh, you might have a, a fuller context and a fuller uh, answer for that question. Uh, because so many things are conflated with joy. That maybe by the time we're done, you'll have a, a, you'll have a, a more clear understanding of where your joy is. And, and what that looks like in your life right now. But one way of coming at it is to ask yourself the question, when have I felt the most alive with gratitude? When have I felt the most alive with a sense of wonder and awe? If you haven't sensed wonder and awe lately, you need to get back in touch with your inner eight-year-old uh, because the defining uh, characteristic of a child is wonder and awe. And as you get into adolescence and early adulthood, the defining characteristic would be affirmation. Hey, you can do it. Great. That was a great job. As we get older, uh, into our adult years and all those various stages, the, the operative uh, issue would be purpose. Sometimes as adults, we get so caught, caught up in our purpose, all the demands and the pressures of that purpose, all the stresses that come with that purpose, we forget that we need some affirmation, and, and especially we need to reconnect with wonder. Uh, wonder, gratitude, awe. We were made by God for joy, but what is it? It's so elusive. How do you get your hands around it? How would you explain it if somebody asked you today, hey, what do they talk about in church? Uh, well, joy. Oh, really? What did they say? I don't know. I kind of lost him after good morning. You know, it was sort of downhill from there. It all became fuzzy in my thinking. Uh, someone described it as Jesus Others You. It's an acronym, Jesus Others You, which is a clever acronym and a good start, but it still doesn't really get to exactly, well, okay, Jesus Others You, exactly how does that uh, impact me or influence me, form me with joy? Uh, one thing to think about is joy is taking delight in the person and nature of God. That's a, a, key, a key idea, a key belief as we go forward this morning. Joy is taking delight in the person and nature of God. Now that might sound so abstract. <clears throat> How do I take delight in the nature and person of somebody I cannot see? But this is one of the keys to understanding joy. Why? Because joy is a fruit of God's spirit. 
the Spirit of God gives us the capacity for joy. Uh, let me ask you some questions. Is joy intense happiness because life is going well? A trick question, because it's yes and no. Is joy intense happiness because life is going well? Yes, but it's more than happiness and good circumstances. Uh, is it a deep feeling of love, well-being, and hope? Well, yes and no. Uh, it's deep feeling, and, and yet it's more than deep feeling. Uh, nothing wrong with having deep, wonderful feelings, but it's somehow more than that. It's more content-rich than just what we feel. Is it a gift from God? Yeah. Yeah, it is, of course. It is a gift from God, and yet that's sort of a trick question, too. Okay, but how do I access it? It might be a gift from God, but do I leave it unopened? Uh, unappropriated, unpracticed, unimplemented. Uh, another question related would be, is it rooted in relationship with God? Yeah. And yet that sounds, it makes it sound like it kind of disconnects me from the world I live in. Because the answer would be, well, yes, and it connects me to others as well. It connects me to circumstances. It connects me to all kinds of factors in life that aren't limited, um, but are connected to this joy that comes from God and being in a relationship with Him. So here's the first big idea of the morning. You are a beloved child of God because God loves us as His beloved. Sounds like double talk. Let me try that again. You are a beloved child of God because God loves us as His beloved. That isn't actually double talk. That's simply giving a larger context to the idea that we're God's beloved. For some folks in our culture, if you say, uh, you know, you are a beloved child of God. They go, darn right I am. Okay then. On what basis do you claim that? Because I deserve it. I'm really good. Uh, you know, churches often say, and I think it's right, they say, God loves us in spite of who we are. Why? Because they're recognizing we live in a fallen world and we're fallible people. I saw a church recently uh, that made a big deal of saying, hey, you know, you've seen other churches say, God loves us in spite of us. He loves us because of us. I thought, wow, that is, that is a shaky premise. Why? Because you're saying, I'm so awesome. If God can only recognize it, he'd be so proud to know that I'm his beloved child. The fact is, you are a beloved child of God because God loves you as his beloved. His love sets things right between you and God. His love sets things right within you. His love sets things right between you and and his creation, which includes other people. So even in our desire to respond to this notion of being beloved children of God, beloved of God, it's because of God that we have that capacity and we have that distinction to say, yeah, in spite of my sin, in spite of my confusion, in spite of my indifference and my rebellion, even as a believer, I experience those things. God calls me his beloved, and that changes everything. Of course, this is, again, one of those, this is the, the beginning of a, of, a, of a formative, simple declarative statement of what it means to have joy in the Lord, joy in life. So we can build on that. God is the author of joy. He initiates love and makes us lovable and loving. It's a gift all the way through. It's not that my life was so perfect, I just needed one more little piece to round it out. And so I allowed God to come in and be a part of it. I'm happy, he's happy, it's really a good arrangement. Versus saying, you know, uh, I thought my life was together, and yet there was just this nagging sense of something missing. And I realized what was missing was the main thing. The main thing was that I was created to be in relationship with God. And I couldn't get there. It was impossible. It's just out of reach. 
Of course, what, what, the, what the wonder and awe of grace is, is that God closes that gap. God closes that difference, not to shame us. See, you couldn't even do it, and I came, and you don't even deserve it. No, it's like, I'm here because I made you for this relationship. And your openness has allowed me to come in and deliver what I wanted to give you. So being beloved means that we're more than our problems, we're more than our successes, we're more than our sins. We're created in the image of God, and that image of God is being restored in us. Not some sort of new agey way. I'm discovering my divinity. I'm discovering that there is a God who made me for a relationship with Him. Now, these are actually nuances. In our culture, you can talk to any number of people and say, oh, I believe that. But my divinity is still part of the package. Or my options have, still have to be open to see what other things I might need in case God can't come through. Instead of saying, you know what? This is the thing that can prompt joy in us to realize there's nowhere else to go. And the only place to go is a place that God says, I'm standing here. I'm the waiting father. Come home. All is forgiven. I'm going to throw a big party. We're going to celebrate your return. So joy is this wild hope that there's more to life than meets the eye. Joy is this wild hope. Not irrational, but just kind of wild. It's out there. I can't exactly prove it. I can't exactly point to it. But I can experience it. And I can even demonstrate it. The joy is this wild hope that there's more to life than meets the eye. And in Christ, God makes known to us our truest identity and purpose. He reveals it to us. We're, we're in a big time in our culture where identity is everything. My behavior doesn't matter. It's my identity that trumps all. You're doing these things. Yeah, but it's my identity. We don't have any idea what our real identity is. It's so shaped by culture. It's so shaped by disappointment. It's so shaped by expectations of others. It's shaped by anger. Uh, it, it's shaped by our, our, our very healthy desire to differentiate uh, ourselves from all kinds of things. The problem is we don't know where to go, and so we end up floating and, and, and being carried along by this cultural tide. And it's God who says, no, let me tell you who you really are. Let me tell you who you really are. And so joy is relational. God makes it known to us through His Word, through His Spirit, yeah, through His people, through all kinds of interesting life encounters and experiences. He makes it real to us. And so we will be filled and we will be fulfilled because of God's intent to do that. And that's why it's not enough to say, uh, and I've talked to any number of people who say, you like, I don't need all this detail you're trying to give me about God and the Bible and stuff, because I, one time out on the ocean, I had this incredibly uh, amazing experience of something, and I know that was God, and that's enough. But I was out in the desert one time, and you know, just a, the, the wildness and emptiness, but the fullness of the desert, and that's enough for me. But you know, it's not enough for you, because you don't know what it's connected to. You don't know where, where it can take you. And it was a wonderful experience, but we all have wonderful experiences, and then they just dissipate. That's why it's more than circumstances or feelings, but it includes both. It's always relational. It's always anchored, rooted in the person and nature of God. And only He can reveal that to us, even as then He reveals our own identity to us. That brings us to the next point. If the first is this, you're a beloved child of God because God loves you as His beloved, the second would be this, joy is the inner confirmation of what we yearn for and what we're made for. 
as you know, C.S. Lewis said, if you yearn for a better world, maybe it's because you were created for one. You were made for a better world, and you know that's what you're made for, but you don't quite know how to get to it. It's like every kid who's angry at their parents says, I know, I know these aren't really my parents. I was swapped out at birth. These mean people are not my real parents because when I meet my real parents, they'll do everything I want them to do when I want them to do it. You know, and you go, no, that's what God alone uh, can do. And so I love the way the, the um, I just skipped over some, some scriptures and I probably completely confused uh, our slide maven. Uh, going back when I said joy is a wild hope, that, that's Psalm uh, 16.1. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. See, this is, this is that powerful confirmation that God has to make known to us the path of life. He's the one who fills us with joy in His presence, and He's got all these resources at His right hand. That's a hand of His power. Um, you know, as, as it relates to Paul, um, the joy being relational, Paul said it this way to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. I don't know that we have a slide on this. Uh, now I know in part, then I will know in full. We have these yearnings, we have these hunches, we have these glimmers and glimpses, but God wants us to, to start to see this whole uh, vision and perspective emerge of who He is and where we fit in that as His beloved children. So it brings us to Hebrews 12 in this idea that if joy is the inner confirmation, it's what we yearn for and are made for. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says it this way in 12, 1 to 3, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The pioneer, the one who initiates this relationship. The perfecter, the one who can continue it and deepen it, develop it. And, and perfecter means to complete it. Teleos means to bring it to its fullest intended conclusion. And, and so what does this mean? To say that, uh, well, and then he goes on to say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What does it mean to say that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame? Well, I mean, there was no joy in the cross, no joy in the shame it brought on Jesus. I can't wait to have that cross experience and all the shame poured out on me by people jeering at the audacity that I would pretend to be the Savior of the world. What it was, was the joy that is in the nature and person of God is what compelled him before coming into the world to say, this is my mission, and in the world to say, not my will, but yours be done. Not the joy of the moment when he's sweating drops of blood in the garden, praying, if this cup can pass, let it pass, but the joy knowing that we will be restored into the relationship we yearn for, that we will then have the fullest capacity to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This adventure, this journey in faith, a journey in joy. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The one who's initiated it, the one who will develop it. The, the pioneer and the perfecter. And so the joy of Jesus was fulfilling God's commitment to rescue us and restore us to himself. And so again, we see the joy comes from God and shapes our experience of life. So therefore, it can't just be circumstances because we have bad circumstances. It just can't be feelings because our feelings come and go. I was talking to a guy this week who was so in love with this girl that he, he, he would say, I was so socially inept I made an idiot of myself trying to convince her that I was worthy of her love. 
And he just was so persistent. And finally, you know, she gave him a chance and realized that, okay, I love this guy. And they dated for several years and they got married. The day of the wedding, he's going, man, I don't know if this is the right thing. And then on their honeymoon, <laughs> this confirms he's socially inept. He says, you know, I'm not sure this is the right thing. <laughs> and she looked at him as the mature, wise woman she, she was and said, you know what? In the Lord, we're going to make it right. She saw his fear, his insecurity, right? Wow. It's more than feelings or circumstances. God shapes our experience of life. And though it's not just feelings or circumstances, it draws on both. Never, ever discount your feelings or your circumstances. Rather, ask the question, what are these feelings attached to? What do these circumstances mean for me right now? Joy is so powerful that it changes how we understand our feelings and circumstances. So when I asked that question at the beginning, what are you, where are you feeling joy right now? Uh, or where are you not feeling joy right now? And that's a question to ask yourself. What, what are my feelings attached to right now? What, 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 what meaning am I giving to the circumstances that I'm in? Somebody, one of the Proverbs writers said, you know, better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. The wounds of a friend can be confrontational, they can be critical, they can be wise words that say, hey, here's what I'm seeing, and it really concerns me, or man, I'm not liking this, and you're offended and hurt. How can my friend say that to me? Versus your enemy says, no, it's awesome, keep doing that. No, no, you can jump off that, you'll be fine. Right? So joy is so powerful, it changes how we understand our feelings and circumstances. And Jesus restores our joy by revealing our Heavenly Father's glory and power. Now we're getting close to the heart of what joy is uh, and, and find a way toward a, a, a workable, sustainable, livable uh, understanding and, and description and definition of it. See, God sustains us and reminds us that we walk by faith in Him and not by sight. I said last week that we're made for freedom, not independence. I know we celebrate Independence Day, and of course we mean independence from a, a, a tyranny. Our perception of, of Great Britain was that it was a tyranny, only because it was at the time. Now it's just a fun place to visit and take pictures. But to call freedom independence is to miss something when it comes to our relationship with the living God. We don't need more independence, we need more freedom. Freedom to go deep in the relationship that He's created us for, that we can have with one another. And so we learn to walk by faith, not by sight. We don't discount what we see, but we want to always say, well, here's what I'm seeing, here's what I'm feeling, here's what I'm experiencing. What does it mean? Lord, show me what this means. For the joy set before Him, He's saying, Lord, help me to see where I'm going here. This is the part that I don't like, but the part that I've got to confront and, and go through. And again, um, we don't have a slide for this, but uh, Paul, writing at the end of that wonderful chapter in Corinthians, we know is a love chapter. He says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. We walk by sight knowing that we're going to see it clearly someday. Right now, not so much. So the third point would be this. The joy of God's glory reorders our understanding and our purpose in life. Joy isn't just something to make us feel good or to appreciate this relationship that God offers to us in Christ. 
It's a reordering of how we understand and experience and express reality. Uh, the first job of every leader, according to Max Dupree, the great uh, business writer, um, head of that wonderful com company, Herman Miller. If you ever sat in an Eames chair, you thank Herman Miller for that. Yeah, thank the Eames couple, but th they worked on behalf of Herman Miller. Max Dupree ran that company for a long time, wrote some great books, and one of the things he wrote on leadership was this. He said, after saying please and thank you, the duty of every leader is to say, uh, is to define reality. This is the reality. You know, Winston Churchill standing up saying, I have nothing to offer you but blood, tear, toils, and sweat. We'll fight them in the sky, we'll fight them on the sea, we'll fight them in the streets, we'll fight them in our homes, but we will fight them, right? He's defining reality. We might die, but we're going to die on our feet. And so this is a sort of um, power that God wants us to have, to say, I have a purpose that is so compelling that I can learn to walk by faith in a way that I have what I need to fulfill my mission, through thick and thin. And all of a sudden, then, our circumstances become the context and the content for fulfilling our purpose. Context is, where are you right now in your life? What's the context of your life? Well, this is happening. This isn't happening. This is really hard. This is really painful. This is my deep sadness right now. This is my deep joy and delight right now. Where are you? Is, are you, you might be saying, gosh, if I just had some certainty, I'd feel so much better right now. It just feels too in betwixt and between. Or if I could just get past this issue. If I could just get out of debt, if I could just get a better report from my doctor, if I could, you know, all those things, right? That's the context of your life. What's the content of your life? But for God, it will be fear. But for God, it'll be blame. You got me into this. But for God, it'll be scapegoating, denying. But our purpose is to live in Him, to know Him, to enjoy Him now and forever. So therefore, these, again, these feelings and circumstances have a proper context. They have a content. Maybe God's going to swap that content out, but unless we're paying attention, we won't get it. And our despair will drag us away from the joy that He's offering us. See, our purpose in life is now reclaimed in Christ so that we can serve Him in joy. That's just working hard for His approval. But working in Him, in this partnership of being redeemed, Partnership as in I'm responding to his, his initiative. And partnership that somehow he uses me in other people's lives. And he uses them in my life. And so our purpose now is not to put the world on our shoulders, but to say it's on his and I'm part of his mission in the world. And he's reclaimed me and restored me in a way that I understand my purpose now. My purpose is not to be miserable my purpose is to say, Lord, you're with me. What is it that you want me to understand about this context and this content of my life? Now, is this just an ego trip or wishful thinking to say God cares about you that much that he wants you to be his partner in his work in the world, that God has a purpose for you? I don't think so. I don't think it's wishful thinking. I don't think it's immaturity. I don't think it's emotional you know, instability. No, God's power is released in us as we grow in love, as we grow in grace, as we grow in truth. These are the bedrock things that are content-rich. As He pours love and grace and truth into our situation, we start to see it from a larger perspective. If we could talk, have talked of Jesus, as all His disciples fell asleep that night that He was betrayed after that Last Supper, they were, all, they, they were so tired and exhausted with fear and anxiety, they fell asleep. 
But if you could have been next to him and said, hey, Jesus, I know this is kind of awkward, but what do you think is going to happen? As he sweaty drops of blood, and he would say, it's going to be ugly. You're going to see humanity in its worst form ever. And this breaks the heart of my father, and it breaks my heart as well. And you're going to have a really rough few days, as I will. But the, you know what? That's not the last word. I will rise again. And I'll be seated at the right hand of the Father. And I'll pour out my Holy Spirit on all people. And I'll return again in glory to make a new heaven and a new earth. It's really good. It's worth everything. Also, that puts in a larger, better perspective. So when Peter pulls out his puny sword to lop off the ear of one of the people attacking Jesus, Jesus is like, I'm sorry. Your perspective is way too small. The heavenly host is ready if we need them. But what I need to do requires me to be faithful to my mission and my purpose, for this is why I came. So when you realize he's saying, this is why I came, to give you life in all its fullness. I'm going to empty myself out that you might be filled. Wow. So we are in the world now bearing witness to Christ as we learn to embrace his joy. All right, well, now we're getting closer to this operational way of understanding joy. We're in the world bearing witness to Christ as we learn to embrace His joy. A new heaven and earth is on the way, and we are the boots on the ground for it. And Jesus is preparing a place for you, just like He promised His disciples. He'd be preparing a place for them. He's preparing you in this life, for this life, but also for what comes beyond this life. No work of God goes wasted. He's preparing you not only to work in you, He's preparing work in you to bless you, to bless others through you. He's preparing you to live the life you're actually living. He's also preparing you for the life that comes beyond this. Don't get ahead of yourself and don't hold back. Just realize that, okay, something is in play here, and it's important that I pay attention. Nothing is wasted. All of it matters. I love the way the writer of Chronicles says it. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. So all of a sudden you go, wait a minute. If strength and joy is in, is in his dwelling place and he gives us everything we need from the fullness of his grace, so wait a minute, that means he's, he's giving me strength and joy in spite of how I'm feeling and in spite of what I'm experiencing. Oh my gosh. Wow. Now, then you might ask the question, why am I not feeling it? And why does it not seem to be empowering me? That's, a, that's another part of the, the puzzle here. And so that's why uh, Jesus could say to his disciples, again at that final dinner, he said, John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Hard not to, but, but don't, don't let that be the defining characteristic of how you're seeing and experiencing your life. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, right? Believe also in me. Well, I'm God. In the, in the flesh, in, in your presence. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? No. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also be, may be where I am. Now, often we've assumed that means going to heaven, but heaven's coming to us. What does he say? You know, I'll take you to be with me, that you'll always be where I am. I'll come back. I'll come back and take you. Uh, the writer of Revelation says it this way, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people. 
And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is where we're going. The road is rough on the way there, for sure. It's tough. If you've ever been on a big backpack trip, there's, at some point in every canoe trip, ski trip, mountaineering trip, sailing trip, when you go, why did we do this again? Are we ever going to get there? Nobody mentioned these mosquitoes or big giant animals with sharp teeth or the heat, the humidity. I can take anything but humidity. You know, I mean, uh, it's a rough road. But this is what's coming. And so, yes, in this life we are immersed in death and mourning and crying and pain, much about our own making. Our own sins trip us up and bewilder us. Our own hardness of heart uh, does all kinds of things to us. And, and it's painful. Uh, this week, Haiti was convulsed yet again in tragedy and turmoil. Haiti, 200 years of tragedy and turmoil. When will it end? Never-ending cycle of uh, trauma and drama in Haiti. This is a microcosm of the entire world. You can dress it up and you can live in a really nice house with an ocean view. And at some point, all these things penetrate those walls and penetrate your head and your heart. And I've said it many times, you can meet some of the most miserable, sad, unhappy, fearful people in palaces of gold. You go, well, I'd swap out any time. Right, except for the, what they live with in those palaces of gold is this incredible gnawing fear that, dear God, I'm getting older, I'm going to die, it's all going to go away, then what? Or who, who oh, my, my, you know, who, who gets it? Or the government's charging me too much money to own it, or you know, whatever. There's always something. In this life, we are immersed in death, mourning, crying, and pain. Perhaps you are deeply aware of other people and places besides Haiti convulsed in tragedy and turmoil. It breaks your heart, keeps you awake at night. But here's the thing, as we lament pain and heartbreak in this world, we also claim joy in Christ. What? That's counterintuitive. Are you lapsing now into irrationality or wishful thinking? No, 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 no. Remember, we have a larger context to understand our life. There's better content than what we can fill our life with. And it's all from God for us. As we lament pain and heartbreak in this world, we also claim joy in Christ. Not in denial, not in escape, not in avoidance, but as a call to active prayer and good works. What? Active prayer? What does prayer have to do with anything? Ah, it changes everything. You might be praying for this and it doesn't happen, but while you're praying for that, God is working in you. That prayer is efficacious. There's an efficacy in our prayer, even the way that it's not answered or the way that it's answered at a different time than when we thought it should be. This idea of good works isn't just trying, again, to please God or impress people. It's saying, as I use what God has entrusted to me in the, in the actual place I live, somehow the kingdom of God is planted in that place. Right now, right now, uh, there are people in Haiti who are faithfully serving Jesus in that place. They all have unpronounceable French names. Uh, they are multi-generational, long-time Haitian people who believe that Jesus has not given up on Haiti. They're praying for their people. They're working assiduously for their people. Uh, I got some notes uh, from Haiti this week. Uh, you know, these pastors, what they're doing is remarkable. Uh, there are people right now 
bringing Jesus to that, what looks like, God-forsaken place. Well, what good will that do? Well, the forces of darkness cannot prevail against the kingdom of God. That's all I know. I don't know how many rounds the fight goes on, but it, it, it ends well. So his joy moves us from paralysis to actively participating in his compassionate care. And that becomes a way of recognizing and appropriating joy. It's claiming and recognizing what is true long before you feel it, even when the circumstances don't support it. This is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. It's not to be irrational, to stop doing something, to become passive, to kick back and say, well, God will figure it out. No, it's to be fully engaged, actively in prayer and good works. What is a good work? It could be as simple as just listening. It could be as simple as simply getting through your day in an orderly way, holding on to whatever shreds of normalcy you have. That's what lots of people who are followers of Jesus are doing in Haiti today. They're trying to hold on to some shred of normalcy and routine, knowing that God is at work, it feels like they've been abandoned, but they're seeing signs that God's kingdom is breaking in. They're praying right now, may this cup pass. They're sweating drops of blood. So here, let me, let me, let me land this plane and, 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 and hopefully give you a functional, operative way of appropriating joy. Joy is rooted in God's kingdom and new creation in Christ. Joy is rooted in God's kingdom. That's why we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're invoking the kingdom of God. We're recognizing the kingdom of God. Joy is rooted in God's kingdom and new creation in Jesus Christ our Lord. Not in human good intentions or wishful thinking. And that's why we keep coming back to the word of God. So we see Paul's letter to the Corinthians, second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4. He says this, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of, and catch this phrase, this is the heart of joy right here, to give us the light of the Knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. This knowledge of God's glory displayed in Christ is the source of our joy. I will always let me down. People will always let me down. Life will always let me down. And you can say the same thing. It's the wrong confession, though. It's a great observation, but it's the wrong confession. Here's a confession. Here's, here's what that starts to look like as we start to confess Christ in the midst of the world in which we live. As we say, Lord, I want to receive this joy that you promise your people. And we continue in, in 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, in ordinary people, everyday people, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus 
so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We live in a mortal body. And yet, because of Jesus also living in us through his Holy Spirit, it's all different. I look the same, but I'm a new creation in Christ. And so then Paul also writes to the Colossians, he says, God has chosen to make known among all people the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's the source of joy. Christ is in me, that's a hope of, of glory. Not my glory, but to experience the glory of God, right? Going back to that knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. It's accessible to me in Christ. It's not an artificial construct. It's not a theoretical abstract idea. It's the bedrock reality that I now live in, that now shapes me and forms me, restores the joy to my salvation when it starts to flag. So God's glory in Christ is everyday people walking with Jesus every day. So joy is the glorious treasure of Christ in you and me. Let me offer that to you as a confession. See if if you can say it with me. I'll say it one more time. Joy is the glorious treasure of Christ in you and me. Say that with me. Joy is the glorious treasure of Christ in you and me. We'll try it again. Joy is the glorious treasure of Christ in you and me and me. That's it. And if you're not feeling it, start there. Lord, I am not feeling this glorious treasure of Christ in me. What am I missing? And open your hands. Sit and open your eyes or close your eyes or whatever whatever posture works best. You get on your face on the floor, stand up. It doesn't matter. Whatever posture gets you focused, you say, Lord, I want to receive and recognize this glorious treasure of Christ in me. I want to confess all those things that I think are holding me back from joy, my hardness of heart, my pride, my fear. I want to acknowledge those and invite you to meet me at that place. I want you to show me how I can forgive where I just don't want to, I don't know how to. Show me where I can reconcile. Show me where I can move on beyond this pile of rubble that I've been buried under. This is your joy in Christ, the glorious treasure of Christ in you. So let's live joyfully in that, shall we? Lord, teach us how to do that. We pray through your Holy Spirit that as we encounter you in prayer, in your word, in good works, in in conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ, as we walk through the world uh, asking you to help us see it through your eyes, as we actively pray and move toward the good works that you've given us opportunity to do, to bring joy, may we experience it in full more than our circumstances and feelings, but certainly including them and reshaping them. That the li- our very life, our actual life that we're living is the context for all the content you want to pour into us to establish your kingdom in us. That we might be uh, ambassadors, and representatives of your kingdom wherever we go. We, we pray this with deep hope and gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, if, if you... Um, we're going to have some worship time as we wrap it up. And this is a time of offering. And, and we define offering more broadly than giving money. But it certainly includes that. Uh, and if you want to you give money, um, you can um, drop it off in that box there on the wall. Uh, lots of you already give through checks or you, you know, uh, the government has, has said we'll give you a credit if you give money to nonprofits. That's a great thing our government does. So however you give, give. 
uh, turn in your prayer cards if you, if you have a prayer request. But right now, the offering, the primary meaning of the offering is, how do you respond to the Word of God? How do you respond to the presence of God? How do you respond to what you're hearing in prayer and word and in music today? Let God speak to you. Uh, and so find a posture that's comfortable for you. Uh, close your eyes if you want or open them, but just simply, however it's best for you to exp ex ex um, express that, offer yourself in your life and your circumstances to God right now. So love is, is God's gift to you. And in that gift, you receive his joy. Joy is more than your feelings or your circumstances. Joy is your identity now in Christ. Joy is your behavior expressed in Christ. A virtuous life, simply reflecting the alive and presence, the living presence of God in you, making you alive to him and present to him and his mission in the world. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, giving us everything we need to walk in newness and fullness of life one day at a time, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for being in worship with us today. Have a great day.